the volume. Oral Sessions is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to bet the action than on FanDuel Sportsbook during the football season. FanDuel is the best. They're America's number one sportsbook. It's so easy to use, safe and secure. What more do you need to hear here? There's fast payouts too, as quick as two hours. What a turnaround. And there's so many different bet types as well. The same game parlay bets, live betting, player props, futures. There's risk-free bets and the same game parlay bets, enhanced odds markets. There's so much more. It's fantastic. It will not let you down. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and get started now. Sign up with the promo code Renee so that they know that I sent you. Disclaimer, 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat for Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG for Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. Tennessee Redline, 1-800-889-9889 in Tennessee. Or visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of The Sessions. Uh, we've got a great episode today, joined by one of my pals, Kazim Famuide. Uh, he used to be on the creative team for WWE, which is how we met The dude is a powerhouse. Um, He no longer works for WWE, but it's such a cool conversation. And I think a conversation that like, I don't know, it's so easy to sit back and and talk shit on the WWE creative team and blah, 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 blah. But like truly it is a thankless job. And these people work so hard. We're all fighting a battle, you know, and the creative team certainly has to fight theirs. And Kaz is just so damn talented. But that's where I met him was uh, in WWE. Came in and right away I was like, oh, this guy seems like a real cool dude. What's going on here? I was like trying to like pin him down of like, what's his, you know, where's he come from? What's his background? What's he bringing to the table here in WWE? Um, and we get into all that, you know, some of the segments that he worked on that he absolutely loved. Um, and just what it's like being on the creative team, working with Vince. Working with the other writers, working with talent, what his relationship was like with talent, um, just what that whole process is sort of Monday through to Sunday because it never ends. It is a grind. Oh my gosh. Especially when you think you have the show written and then Vince decides that he's going to rewrite it hours before we go live on Monday Night Raw. Been there, done that, got the postcard, got the t-shirt which honestly keeps us on our toes. And I always thought it was really funny and hilarious um, to just sort of roll with it. Um, As a performer, it's a lot of fun to be like, oh shit, we're going on the air and we don't know what's happening. Great. Here we go. I always sort of love that. The thrill of it, if you will. Um, I'm I'm sure not everybody else feels the same way, but uh, I always kind of enjoyed it. Um, But anyways, having Kaz on was really cool. um, Really fun being able to pick his brain um, just about his time in WWE and now his time outside of WWE. I mean, the dude does so much. Um, You can see him on MSG Network. Um, He's got his own podcast. I mean, the dude, um, the dude is hustling. He's, I feel like he's everywhere right now. Um, and only on the up and ups. Also a new dad. He's got a sweet new little baby. Oh my goodness gracious. Um, so let's just get into it. Here he is. Here's my dude, Kaz. Renee, you good? It's been a long 
up, man? It's good to see you. I'm good. I know it's so good to see you. Oh my God. I feel like I'm always just like, I, I guess like everyone right now is like, we're all kind of, you know, connected through each other's social medias. I'm just always seeing like what you're up to. You're a busy guy. Like how the hell do you juggle it all? Oh my God. I have a wonderful fiance who takes care of me like a, like a grown child. Um, but other than that, uh, I, I just I just really like doing stuff. You know, I, I never feel like I'm doing anything that truly feels like work. Like if I could just do one of the things and just do that, I'd be happy. But I'm like super blessed that like I get to work in my favorite basketball team and work in professional wrestling somehow and work in music somehow and then work for LeBron James and, you know, create some podcasts and create some shows and host some stuff here and there. And, you know, I only got one life. When do you feel satisfied? Are you one of those people? Because like, I know I can be so bad for this. Like as much as my plate can be super full, I'll go to bed being like, I didn't do enough. I got to find another thing. I got to find like, what's the other thing that I'm going to do? Like I drive myself crazy with that. Are you that person? Yes, unfortunately. Like I'm I'm really trying to be better at it, uh, especially in this new year. I'm so blessed. Uh, my, my daughter has definitely like calmed me down a lot and made me realize, okay, you can't do everything because this little mini person needs you. Uh, <laughs> uh, but other than that, like I, I, I get the same thing you do, man. Like I'll just go to bed and feel like I didn't hit this time right. Or I didn't, you know, I, you can do a million things, right? You just never forget the one or two things that you feel like you could have been improved upon. So that just gave me like a little twinge of anxiety. I did my um, Sirius XM show yesterday and I've been like sick. My brain is just cloudy. I'm on like Dayquil and like 14 coffees. I don't know what is going on. And I had like a very awkward sign off on the show and I just can't stop thinking about it. It's, it's impossible. <laughs> like, especially I'm, I'm, it's live too, right? So like, yeah. you know, we're doing live for MSG. And I'm talking with Monica and then, you know, we're, we're, we're shooting a breeze or whatever. And then we just kind of end a little awkwardly. I, I, I can't stop thinking about it for the rest of the day. It's, it's, uh, uh, but I'm getting better. When's your birthday? What, what star sign are you? Okay. Uh, my birthday's February 21st. So I'm a Pisces. I'm a very emotional Pisces. I, I don't like know the breakdown of all the different astrological signs, but I'm a Virgo, which I know means like I'm kind of an uptight person perfectionist and I never thought of myself like that but now like the older I get I'm like fuck I am I am like I'm I'm I get super tight wound you know what it is I never even thought that like astrology and like these signs meant anything I always thought it was bs and the older I grew up and the more I read about it and the more I like talk to people and the only thing I know about Pisces is that everybody hates them everything's <laughs> just like at the bottom of the totem pole when it comes to every single thing and I'm just like what do we do to deserve such vitriol from the stars and what are some of the characteristics of a Pisces what does that equal just terrible relationships just very sensitive about everything like just the most just too much feelings like everybody like it's it's astrology in itself it's supposed to be about feelings, but apparently Pisces have too much feelings. So it's just one of those things where I, I don't know. I've never read a good thing about a Pisces than any astrology sign in my life. And I take it as a badge of honor. <laughs> I take that very first. Rihanna's a Pisces. So if okay. I'm good enough for Rihanna being a Pisces, then I'm good enough. I've actually always leaned very heavily on Beyonce being a Virgo. I'm like, if she's a Virgo, I'm a Virgo simpatico here, you know? 
She got a song called Virgo. I mean, listen, you got a theme music and everything. Ain't no Pisces theme songs. Ain't nobody proudly repping the Pisces gang. This just doesn't happen. I think that Jay-Z is um, a Sagittarius, which is what John is. Like, I think our birthdays are about the same. So I'm like, maybe there's something cool here. I don't know. I'm leaning into it. Well, what they say about us is that we're fish. So we just kind of like swim and like have no idea what we're doing. So, and my fiance is super into astrology. She's a Gemini. So like anytime anything happens, we'll just be like, oh, oh, such a Pisces. So I'm just like, whatever. <laughs> I don't even know what that means, but I just kind of kind of eat it. But you know, she's burning you when she says it. All right. <laughs> exactly. All right. Exactly. Um, how is dad life treating you? Oh my God. Your sweet little baby is here. Can you believe it? It's the best thing ever, um, in addition to it being the craziest thing <laughs> ever. Um, I, yeah, I spoke to you about it. I spoke to a lot of my friends that are, are parents, especially new parents, just about things to expect. And the good thing is, like, nothing has been surprising yet. It's the greatest thing in the world. And it's also going to drive you nuts and you're never going to sleep again. <laughs> it's all this other stuff, but it's all going to be worth it. And it's so true, man. Like, I, I love my little girl so much. I, I, I've always loved my wife and my fiance. And uh, she's, there's like another level to it now. Isn't that the craziest thing? Like, being able to have a baby with this person that you just love so much is crazy. I don't know. It sounds so simple. But until like you actually like go through it, you're just like, oh, this is what that is like. Like you're just looking at this little mini like version of you and her. And you're just like, now you're it's your responsibility to shape <laughs> this young life. But it's the best, man. She's so great. She's so funny. Um, she's just the cutest little thing. And she's laughing now. Like she, she gets to- She's cute. What a head of hair on this baby, huh? Hey, man, listen, we got good genes. That's kind of why I got the braids, right? Like, I was sitting here, I saw the baby, and I'm just like, I'm just doing a complete disservice to my gene pool right now. So I was like, you know, I'm just going to grow this hair out. I'm going to see how far I can take it, just so people know, hey, we got we got good genes in this family. How long was your hair before you could braid it? I want to say, like, if I took it out and put it, like, to here, it would reach, like, my eyebrow. That's impressive. Yeah, that's a pretty good shrinkage. Like, you know, you kind of curl it up and you get the naps nice and straight and blow it out, and you'd be surprised. But if I was just wearing it as is, it would look like I just had, like, a little compact, like, haircut, whatever. But once you pull it out and braid it and all this, I was so shocked that I don't have no weave in my hair, no fake hair, no nothing. Oh, natural, baby. Oh, natural. And I, <laughs> and I have to let you know, Renee, I want to make sure you're, you're Thank extremely, you. uh, you're in an extremely privileged position because I've been holding this look back for a while and I wanted to debut it's it at a very special, very special place. And it's I'm really so glad great. I'm here. There's nothing better than having that, like, I mean, I, I've i been growing my hair out. I will say being pregnant and having prenatal vitamins, I'm like, oh, my God, my hair is growing like crazy. I've had that tight bob for years and years and years. I was like, who is this woman with this long hair? I've, like, taken on a new persona. Everybody get out of my way. New bitch nice. in town. I know. It's nice. so great. The nails, the nails coming in, too. Like, it's, it's all that. They were, but uh, we're working on it. It's that. mostly just staying <laughs> follically, and I'm okay with that. Um, okay, tell me how you met your fiance, because I always see you posting these really sweet photos with her. And what is your guy's backstory? The one thing you should know about me uh, when I was single, when I was younger, is I had 
zero confidence from talking to women. Like I'm just I, I, zero. Like I had no, I, I just, I, I, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to, I, I always, I was very self-deprecating. So long story short, I didn't really know how to talk to women. And uh, I met my fiance my senior year of high school. I was playing basketball and uh, we had just won the Union County tournament in New Jersey. Uh, so I was on a high, and it was also my birthday, by the way, speaking of which, it was my birthday. Uh, we had just won the county tournament and I was in the mall and I was about to throw up a, a house party in a hotel. I was, I was doing a lot in high school, if you couldn't tell. Like I was throwing up like house parties, charging people to come in. I was hustling. I was doing all this type of stuff. And I'm in Jersey Gardens Mall. And I see my fiance kind of like slowly walk. I didn't know her from a hole in the wall, but I just saw this beautiful, long hair, tall, just everything woman. And I had, it was my birthday going for me. We had just won the championship. I'm in the mall. I'm throwing a party tonight. My confidence is through the roof. So like for the first time, I'm like, I, I don't even remember what I said to her, but I actually stopped and like tried to like spit whatever version of game I had was in high school. And uh, invited her to the party. So um, I didn't think she was going to come. thought she was too pretty. Or her pretty, you know, mean girls friends that she was hanging out with. Like, I didn't think it was going to actually come and show up. But uh, she shows up and doesn't pay any attention to anyone. We just sit there and we talk for hours and hours and hours. And funny enough, like, we, we liked each other. But it built more naturally. Like, we built, like, a friendship for several years. And we got to really know each other. And then, you know, some, some years went past and we we're just like, you know what? We should try this out. We should give this a shot. And uh, it has. And she's the most wonderful person in my life. I've never had someone who, who I've loved more deeply or cared more for or has been my biggest supporter and partner in anything in life. She is amazing. And um, I love that I've gotten her into wrestling now. Like she'll 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 sit and watch with me. Like you know, she has her stuff. She does love you. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like she'll watch wrestling with me. She'll watch the Knicks. Like she's she's all in on it. But other than that, man, she is the most uh, wonderful, wonderful human, and I, I I love her so much. She's the best. Let's run things back for a second because if you guys knew each other for so long and were like friends in the friend zone was it so weird crossing through that <laughs> threshold of like we doing this so, what's happening I, I, I will take full responsibility for taking how long like i told you i didn't know how to talk to women for a long time right like i've had this long crush on this person but i'm just like oh okay like we're we're friends like you know we're cool we'll kind of hang out here and there but it was just one of those things where um, we've always just had a lot of love for each other, uh, that respect for each other. And it was kind of worked out well. It was like, okay, we just kind of lived our 20s. As you should. As you should. And I, you know what? I fully recommend for anybody, if you're not ready to settle down and be with someone and start a life with them, go and live. Do your 20s the way you're supposed to do it. And then when you're ready. You can settle down with no regrets, not feeling like you're missing out on anything. And you can give your 100% all to the person that's willing to give their 100% all to you. So uh, I wouldn't change a thing, man. It was perfect. Fight fans, throw your best haymaker with a risk-free first bet from FanDuel Sportsbook. Even if your fighter gets knocked out or tapped out, new customers get up to $1,000 back. 
if your first bet doesn't win. Just sign up with the promo code Renee and you'll be able to get all of the biggest boxing matches and UFC fights. FanDuel offers all of your favorite bets. Choose from the money line to the method of victory to which round the fight will end and so much more. You can even parlay different fight bets together. The bigger your parlay, the bigger your potential payout becomes. This is what I'm looking forward to. UFC 270, we've got Cyril Gunn in Francis and Gunn. There's so much going on between these two in the heavyweight division. Cyril gone on this one. I think that he's going to get it done. And that's going to leave a lot of things up in the air for Francis Ngannou. Cannot wait to see this. FanDuel is America's number one sports book and is now live in New York. Uh, and New Yorkers, get out there, do it. New Yorkers know how to do things big. They know how to do it right. Do not miss out on this. The app is so easy to use. And when you win, you're going to get paid in as little as two hours. So to place your first bet risk-free, just sign up with the promo code Renee. That's R-E-N-E-E. And make every fight night mean more with the FanDuel Sportsbook app. 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG for Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 for New York. The Tennessee Red Line, 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. Or visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net for West Virginia. Um, okay, so you and I met at WWE, and it's actually funny for me to hear you say that, like, you didn't have any game because I feel like I remember you coming in. You're like this cool new writer. I'm like, what's this guy doing here? What's going on? What's this guy's story? Well, let me be clear. I didn't have no game in high school. All right. Like, I'm, 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 <laughs> oh, it was after I, that I, I that you were good. I burned myself. I'm like, all right. I, I grew some confidence as the years <laughs> came on. Okay. Like, I'm okay. not, not like much of a loser. That helps then. Because <laughs> I, I feel like I remember you being there and then. I remember being in like a production meeting and what didn't like some kind of article come out that you were like one of the most like eligible bachelors in New York City or something like that? What was that? <laughs> okay, so uh, Bumble, shout out to Bumble, the good people at Bumble. They had reached out to me uh, randomly while I was working at WWE. Oh my God, that's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> this While is in my memory it. where I'm like, what's going on here? Break it down. While I was working, I was working at the WWE and uh, Bumble reaches out to me and they're like, hey, listen, we've been watching you for a long time and we followed your career and all this other stuff. And uh, we're putting a list of the 100 most interesting New Yorkers on our Bumble app. What an honor. You can put me on any list and I will take it as an honor. Okay. Like it was a bad list, good list, whatever. But that was crazy. So the nomination, all that stuff, totally fine. Where it gets weird is uh, they had this photo shoot that we were supposed to do that was plastered all over New York City, like billboards, sides of buses. It was like on the post, like all these other things. I felt like Justin Bieber for a week. Like they put me in this long. (laughs) 
denim trench coat. I remember the denim jacket. Yes. I was like, I think I like this. It was so, it was so uncomfortable. I didn't know, like, because I, I brought my own clothes and uh, the lady that was styling us was like, oh, she does like a bunch of celebrities and like it's you know, all these other folks. And there was a couple like, so, like who I would characterize as celebrities on that list also. So I'm like, oh, okay. She's like, she's a real stylist. I'm going to. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to wear it and whatever. It's going to look cool. So I had these big old polo boots on this denim trench coat for people who may not have met me in real life. I'm about like six, three, six, four on a good day. So it's a long coat. Like it, it, it's like, it's basically a blanket. And then I, I come back to uh, the road. I don't know what city we were in that week, but uh, I want to say it was shooter done. And uh, my guy, Kirsch, who I love so much, found the picture, brings it into the, like the writer's room. I think <laughs> it was through Kirsch that I saw it. Yeah. It's like, what is it? And I'm sure they're like saying all these nice things like, oh, yeah, it's such a it's such a huge honor. But it's it was so cheesy. Like it was so, you know, I, I, I never. I thought it was cool. Thank you for saying that. I appreciate you saying that so nicely. But it was just it was so uncomfortable because like, you know, when I'm working there and, and you, you've you've been there for years like the writers are very much the you know see and not be seen type of people so we're walking into the new tv and like they're all just fucking with me with this billboard and this photo and this long trench coat and saying you're like a one of the most interesting new yorkers in on this huge dating app or whatever it was uh i wonder if vince saw that it must have been brought to vince's attention right it must have. I think so. I think at one point, I'm almost positive um, Steph saw it. I'm pretty sure she did. Okay. And then, um, you know, they would always, ever since then, they would always compliment me on my suit when I came in to the production. Like, you know, when they come in and they like they do all the shake hands and stuff, whatever. It's a full assessment. All that stuff. Oh, yeah. Like, Vince always go, hmm. It's a good suit. <laughs> so I'm just like, all right. I, I, I hope they didn't see it. It was so weird. It was so uncomfortable. But now I, I can look back at it and, and, and really uh, laugh at it. Okay, so how did you end up at WWE? What was your whole process to getting there? I was doing a lot of television work and a lot of production work, whether I was hosting or working on like other TV shows. I worked on a show on Facebook Watch called um, No Scrub or Marshawn Lynch. Um, did a couple of things for Uninterrupted while I was getting launched, LeBron's uh, company. And um, I was just kind of like in some transition and I saw a job opening for a, uh, I want to say like a digital director or whatever, right? You know, the HR calls me and they were like, oh, we see that you applied for this job and like in so many words basically said like we're not going to give it to you but if you can do anything in this company what would you want to do and i was like two things one either be talent or two help create the show and they're like great come in monday you're going to interview some people and then we'll we'll see how it goes so uh instead of getting that gig i come into to stanford talk to um the wonderful Dave Kapoor and Road Dog both interviewed me. And, um, you know, I I always was a, a lifelong professional wrestling fan. My literal first memory in life was sitting in my dad's lap about a year and a half old. I swear to you, I remember this vividly. And my dad is watching a bootleg copy of Survivor Series 1988. When it's the mega powers versus I came in big boss, man. And I just see colors and yelling and muscles. And I'm just like, 
well, like, I guess whatever my one and a half year old breaker process is like, what is this? This is my earliest memory. Like, I remember the apartment. I remember where I was sitting, all this other stuff. So it was just like a lifelong thing for me. And, uh, you know, my father had passed away uh, about a year and a half before I had, you know, gotten the opportunity for WWE. So it was, you know, it was a big thing for me to be like, you know, like my dad loved wrestling. He was an immigrant. My mom's an immigrant. And the one thing I've always loved about it is that even though in the world of uh, professional wrestling, um, you know, my mom, my dad weren't the best English speakers. I mean, they're still, my mom's English is still like kind of shaking to this day, but, um, you know, that it was a language that they all understood, you know, and, and that's the great thing about certain pieces of art. And it happens to a lot of people. For some people, the first time they hear, uh, uh, see, see a rap album or see somebody dance some certain way it's like some certain pieces of art ca- capture you at an early age where you're like oh i get this i see why this is you know seen as performance art and um it always felt like it was really important for me to, to, to knock that off my bucket list and be like yo it would be really cool to kind of full circle it uh, for my pops and and, and work at wwe in, in in some capacity I know people always have their horror stories and I'm sure they're all justified, but like I kind of went in there kind of knowing I wasn't going to be there for that long. And I was like, you know what, if I just go in here and have fun and get some cool stuff and put some stuff on TV, like I'll be all right. And and I think that's what we accomplished. So I really enjoyed my time there. So like, what was the experience? What is like, cause I've always actually been pretty fascinated by how the creative team works. And honestly, I I do feel like they're sort of like the unsung heroes. Like it's a tough gig because you're you're kind of battling everybody, whether you're battling Vince, then you're battling talent. Like it's rough. You have no friends in creative. <laughs> the only friends you have, the only have the only friends you have in creative are some talent. And basically just the other creative, because you you get none of the, you get all the blame when something's terrible and none of the credit when something's good. Yeah, Yeah, it's true. And and, and on top of that, like just kind of being in there to see how the the soup is made or whatever, whatever the turn of phrase is, it really made me give me, have so much more respect for everybody who who goes through those doors because I'm just like everybody else on the internet. I'm like, I could do better than that. Oh, that's trash. Like, wow, creative, they're they're ruining this guy, blah, blah, blah. And and the first thing you notice uh, when you walk into that room is that everybody in that room is like a hundred times as big a fan as you are. Like they have thought of every cool idea. They have thought of every opportunity, every single thing, you know, it's just, it's, it truly is a machine over there. So it's not as simple as I got this cool idea. Let's do it. We can have like a whole, you know, hour long thing on just the process. It's a whole skull session. Yeah. Oh my goodness. At the time I was there, you got to remember SmackDown was on Tuesday. So like we would go. Wednesday, we'd have a day off. I guess that would be our travel day. Thursday, we'd be in Stanford storyboarding the show. Uh, Friday, we'd get out our first drafts for the scripts and, and see what we're looking at. Saturday, you get ready to travel. If it's the pay-per-view, you do travel, get there to Sunday. Sunday, you get into the production meeting. And you sat in those production meetings. A lot of times, we're bringing those scripts that we've worked in all week. And they're just like... <laughs> Rewritten. <laughs> 
through the shredder. How much does that break your heart? I mean, when you have a full week leading up, you guys have gone over the show top to tail, and then you just see it be ripped up. Like, what does that do to your soul? It's heartbreaking, you know, like it's, it's not, not fun. Like nobody likes to be told like, you know, your ideas are are, are not it or, or not fun. But it, you know what it is? It's like you really, really have to have a good rapport with talent when you're over there if you want to get some stuff. And- but don't you think that that's almost a little bit of a tricky game? that You can't have like too good of a rapport with the talent. It's a very delicate balance. God bless everyone on creative right now. I couldn't imagine what it's like, you know, trying to create something for weeks on ahead, not knowing who's even going to be on the roster, you know, like who's going to be there. You, you have no idea. So, I mean, God bless everybody who's doing that right now. But yeah, it's, it's very touchy because you can have a good relationship. Like, for example, I had a great, still to this day, tell to these guys, like almost every day, have a fantastic relationship with them today. And, you know, they were in a position, and I'm sure they still are, they were in a position where they can do anything. The most fun times I would have there was, you know, I'd go in there with my paper and then put the headset on and I'd see you and Cole sitting in one room, one side and Vincent Hunter sitting on the other and just like going through it and just seeing you guys laugh. That's the fun part. But I mean, obviously, yeah, like it's a little bit more difficult because you can't have that relationship with everyone else. There's certain people that aren't the new day, that aren't like these established megastars who make a ton of money and could do whatever they want. And they trust you to kind of like, pretty much help them talk or help them get across a point or whatever. But then you'll have like other talents who aren't necessarily the most established. And, you know, they think they're at a, and and, and of course, if you're a talent, you got to think of yourself as the biggest thing. But in reality, it, it was a little difficult. So, you know, sometimes it's not the easiest job. I mean, I've done a lot of things in the entertainment industry, and this is by far the most challenging job <laughs> that, I, that I've ever had. I, I loved it though. What was a segment that you were like most proud of that you were able to get on television while you were there? So when you first get there, they kind of like give you like kid gloves and just kind of like, okay, you're going to just kind of shadow this guy for a while. And then, you know, they kind of let you out. Who did you shadow? The wonderful Wacky Bob. Uh, Wacky Bob from uh, who's over at Impact right now. And that's when he was doing the Daniel Bryan Miz storyline when Bryan was first coming back, which was huge. So I got to really see that. So the first project I really got to go on my own was when the New Day uh, became five-time tag team champions. And I wanted to do a five-timers club kind of send-off from SNL with Booker T coming in and knighting everybody. Oh, that was amazing. You did that? Yes. And uh, that was the first time I got like a real, you know, Vince comes up and is like, mm, that was good. That was, that was funny. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, we got we got the Booker Spinner Rooney. We got to make fun of Saxton a little bit. We got the Big E joke. Like, it was just really fun. And it was the first segment. Like, it was the first segment on SmackDown. So, like, it was a lot of pressure. But, like, once it's done, it's like you get a week to just be, like, reveling it until it's like, all right, back to next week. But another segment that I'm super proud of that wasn't necessarily my fault, like, because the best parts of it weren't scripted. Uh, we talk about it all the time was was Elias and Kevin Owens in Seattle. Oh, when, my uh, God. You shouted out. <laughs> when you shouted out Devil of Strength. <laughs> and uh, the funny thing about that is, you know, I didn't know Elias that well. And he was working with another one of my good friend writers for a long time. And I think he wasn't there. So it was me, Leo Rush, Bobby Lashley. 
Kevin and Elias. And me and Elias are going through the whole thing. And I had never done the whole, my name is Elias. Da, da, da. So like I had to make sure that was all good. And I'm telling him about like, yo, like the Supersonics dig, you're in the key arena. And Elias was very like, are they going to get it? Like, is this going to be a thing? I'm like, no, I'm, I'm telling you, they're going to react. Like they're going to, they're going to feel a type of way. I had no idea they were going to react the way that they did. I will never forget that sound. They would not stop. It was the loudest crowd. I had Kevin Dunn in my ear yelling like, they won't stop. This is insane. Like they're, they're putting the house lights back on just to get them to keep booing. Like Kevin's looking at me like, what's the struck a chord? Like what the hell? Because Kevin's not a huge sports guy. So as soon as he comes back in the back, he gives me a big hug. He's like, he's like, oh man, you really had him for this one. And the one mistake I wish I got to, Shout out to Ed Kosky because he told me this right as uh, he's about uh, Leo's about to go out. I was like, man, if Leo would have just like shouted out Sean Kemp or shouted out Gary Payton as soon as he walked in, he would have been the biggest baby face in the history of Seattle. But the fans then took over the whole arena at this point. <laughs> they did. <laughs> I remember me, Cole, and Graves looking at each other, and we were like, we were all laughing because we're like, oh my, when is this segment going to get to carry on? Because the crowd was so insane. And yeah, and then the Detlef Shrimp line got in there, and they're looking at me like, how the fuck do you even know who Detlef Shrimp is? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, they were, they, we had a whole other thing to go to, and, and I think we were leading up to Super Showdown, I think. Right, I think we're supposed to be seeing it last year, so we're just trying to like drum up some excitement, knowing we don't have Cena, but we still want to get people, you know, riled up about it. And it just completely off the rails, like nothing, nothing stayed off script. We just sent Leo out because we we're running out of TV time. We were going to go to commercial. It was just so much fun, man. Like that excitement. That um, you said, you know, working at WWE's entertainment boot camp. There is literally no better feeling, as crazy as it is, as all the BS you deal with. There is nothing that you can replicate where you can write something, get that instant reaction less than a week and feel it from like 13,000 people all at once. And it's not like, you know, it's not like a TV show where you got to wait like four or five months for it to, you know, come on or whatever. It's like, no, you're getting it right then and there. And that was, that's the, that's what you come back for every week. You come back for that reaction and that emotion and feel like it's undescribable. It was the best. Um, okay. So with you being on the creative team with WWE, what do you think needs to be done in terms of diversity in professional wrestling in general? I'm so glad you asked that because I feel like that's a, that's a huge topic right now, especially with, with, with both uh, companies. Um, and before I say anything, I definitely want to give props to the fact that this isn't a taboo conversation anymore. You know what I mean? Like when I first got my uh, my WWE interview with HR, when they first asked me a question, they were like, is there any questions you want to ask us? And I was like, you know, it's a little light in here. Like, are we going to try and get some more folks that look like me? And to their credit, they were like, you know what? We're very aware of this. And we're working on it. And I saw a couple of the creative folks, uh, gosh, where is it? SummerSlam in Vegas. And uh, definitely way more women, definitely way more people of color. There's definitely more women for sure. Yes. Yeah. And, and I think that's where it starts, right? Um, I think WWE and, and AEW and Impact have all done some really good jobs uh, as far as like taking steps forward and changing that. Um, there could always be more done. But I think it really starts in the people making the decisions, to be honest. Um, at the end of the day, this is an entertainment product. And a lot of times we try to pretend that this is anything more than a scripted content series every single week. And if you want to 
connect with certain people in a genuine and authentic way. You got to have people in there who are either making those decisions or speaking or being able to convey, you know, what certain folks want to say without sounding like you're, you know, you're putting on a costume or something like that. So I think it starts there. I think this year, the small part of me wishes I was still there because I would have loved to work with a street profits. I would love to work with a Bianca Belair. I would have loved to been able to like have a hand on Biggie's WWE title run. I think that could have been a little bit different, you know, and um, to their credit, like it's so good to have discussions about black wrestlers in the main event scene. You know, I saw what Tony Khan said about um, Big Swole this past week, and it was why, and, and I think there's a big disconnect with a lot of wrestling fans because they don't understand why what he said was so damaging, right? Like there's already so many things that black women are fighting against when they're trying to get into this business. And when you have somebody like him who was so powerful and who has done great things for professional wrestling, like I'm so glad that AEW exists. I'm so glad there's an alternative, but I think his biggest faux pas right there was you're doing more damage by speaking on that than just doing the work. You know what I'm saying? Like if you would have just not responded or just kind of, and, and it's not even like what Swole said was anything too nefarious. He was just being honest and speaking from her soul. Now, I think unknowingly, he's put this weird spotlight on him where even if that's not how you think Black wrestlers are spotlighted, the people who do think that are now attacking this woman every single day. I, I, I mean, she hasn't been on social media in a minute, but like she's somebody who, who goes hard for everyone. She's not just someone who's just, you know, I'm A.W. rah, rah, rah. Like she was for everybody. You know what I'm saying? So now there are certain people that make it seem like, oh, well, Swole's leaving because she she didn't get this push or that push. It's like, nah, it's never been like that. And there was a time where AEW had nearly no notable black wrestlers. And now at the time, you pick up a Leo Rush, which is just huge. You got, you got his uh, tag team partner. You got Hobbs. You got a lot of guys over there. I mean, Jay Cargill is a, is a specimen. You know what I mean? Like, you got so many talented Black performers. I, I was having a conversation with somebody about this earlier today. Like Black people have loved wrestling for so long. It's been hard for wrestling to love Black people back. And that was just an example of that where, you know, you're the boss of a company. Like, you, you know, Vince would never say, oh, well, we fired this guy because, you know, he wasn't good. And hey, look at all these guys that we put on like our third and fourth most important shows in the company. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's not the best way to go about it. But I mean, I do give him credit because he is taking strides and he is young and he's going to make mistakes. I'm not going to hold anybody's feet to the fire for making a mistake, but he's got to know better that somebody that powerful is going to do more harm than good when he's answering that instead of just being about his action and just doing the work and knowing like, hey, nobody's asked you to put like the world championship on a black performer, like right then and there. We just want competent storytelling. We just want black performers in places of uh, uh, where they can truly shine. You know, like we just want to be entertained just like you want to be entertained. And, and that's basically what it is. But like I said, it all starts in the people that are making the decisions, whether it's creative, executive positions, the owners, once diversity starts there, it's all a trickle-down effect. I mean, I can only speak from, like, the the female side of things. I mean, just trying to get more women in prominent roles and uh, just, you know, the whole way that that works. Because, I mean, like you said, I mean, having more women on the creative team, having more women in executive positions, you do see those changes happen. And, man, it, it takes what feels like forever 
But for something to, you know, I think properly work and be done right, it, it does take a little while. And I'm so happy that strides are being made for everybody to have those moments to succeed. I'm glad it's not an uncomfortable conversation anymore. You know what I mean? Like, I'm glad we can like all openly acknowledge like, hey, we like our wrestling to not just look like one thing. (laughs) Like, that's not a terrible thing. Like, we can totally watch a whole wrestling show and have the main event be two women. And it's just fine. You can have a black world champion and we don't need to put him in the the barbershop post or Martin Luther King anymore. You know what I mean? Like, now it's just a thing. Once it just is, that's when you you made some real some real uh, you know progress. What led to you leaving WWE? Because you were not there for all that long, and like you said, you kind of wanted to come in there and either want to be on the creative team or you wanted to be talent. And then I feel like before I knew it, I was like, "Damn, where did Kaz go? What's going on? What led to your departure?" I got fired. <laughs> yeah, I got fired. I didn't know that. What? So to be fair, I mean, like on the creative side of like kind of, you know, getting ideas together and putting things together, I think I did pretty well. But the WWE, especially on the inside and the executive side, there's certain like things, there's certain just concepts that I just, to be fully transparent, wasn't catching as quickly as I assumed that they would like to catch, you know? And, you know, certain talents, they throw you right on the road. You know, usually every writer I talked to when I was there, they're like, oh, you know, I did home team for a little bit. And home team is basically like where you're kind of like writing the show from, you know, Stanford. You're giving in ideas. You're in the office every day. And you're just kind of like in this think tank of like creativity where the away team is like just on the road. Like you're like a road producer and you're with the talent all the time. I was thrown on the road immediately. Like I was hired on a Wednesday and then I was at Money in the Bank Sunday. So it was, it was a lot thrown at me really quickly. And I understand what they were trying to do. It was definitely, um, you know, a trial by fire over there. And I think I succeeded in certain points, but I started to get worn down also. And they could kind of see it in me. It's a tiring, tiring, thankless job. <laughs> you know, It's very thankless. It is. And I had a lot of other opportunities out there. And then like, I want to say like my 11th month going into like my one year anniversary of being there, I got took off the road team and I was in the home team for like the last month. So I was like, "Mm, writing's on the wall. Let me see what else is out there. (laughs) And then like lo and behold, three weeks later, it was like, you know, it's not really working out, but you know, we still like you and you know, maybe something happens on the line. It's really funny how it's such a, it does just the way that they operate. And I'm sure there's many other companies that do that same thing as well, where it very much so is a sink or swim of like, Hey, we like this guy. Let's put him out there and do the thing. Like, I mean, just to kind of draw the comparison of like, even when I, you know, when I jumped on to do commentary for raw, I was not prepared for that at all. I remember Hunter and Cole were like, Hey, you're going to fill in. Um, uh, you're going to step in on Monday night raw and you'll, you know, do a, a, a trial episode and we'll see what happens. But like, I hadn't been going down to NXT and getting in reps or even fucking thinking about doing commentary. So it was like, cool, you have the job now. And I was like, wait, what? I remember that day in a production meeting where it was just like, everybody like... And when everyone got up and clapped for me. So let me, let me set the stage Ew. for people who've never been in a WWE production <laughs> meeting, right? Like, it's, it's, it's a, a, a room of, in the front, it's Vince... It's Hunter, sometimes Steph, Kevin Dunn. On the one side, it is like all the producers, and it's literally like a who's who of your favorite wrestlers ever. It's like Arn Anderson, Dean Malenko, Fit Finley, 
all these incredible talents. Then it's the writers. Then it's the commentators in, in the back. And we're all just like, okay, let's put this show together. And, you know, week by week, we always do the same thing. And then, you know, Michael Cole stands up and he's like, guys, I have an announcement to make. She's been doing an incredible job and in training for this. And I'm so proud of her. And this is that. And Michael Cole, God bless Michael Cole, said this wonderful, heartfelt speech about how she feels about you. And uh, pretty much announced that you were going to be doing um, commentary on Raw. And everybody stood up and clapped. And I know your face turned into a peach, into a strawberry. It was so red. But we were all happy for you, man, because we were all just like, no, nobody nobody dislikes Renee. Like, Renee's like the coolest person in the entire building, like Russell's <laughs> included. Like, nobody's cooler than Renee. So once you got in there, like, nobody even thought about, like, well, has she done this before? It's like, no, she's, nobody cared. That is sort of the funny thing, because honestly, it really was. I did feel so much love from everybody to do that. Like, from everybody, from everybody in the company to, like, all of the fans. Like, it, I couldn't have been, like, more stoked to go out to do that. But at the same time, being like, I don't know if I'm up to this job, but here we go. <laughs> but you killed it. Don't, don't, don't shortchange yourself. You killed it in that role. I mean, listen, you were amazing in commentary you know don't let nobody think that whatever is whatever I thought you were great it's a really hard job and I was ill prepared for it so as much as I was learning on the job much like you were as well you get thrown into it and you're like you are so quickly trying to adapt to what's going on and it moves so fast um every week moves fast every month moves fast you're like I'm I don't think that I'm I don't know if I'm grasping this in the way that I'm supposed to be in real time, it's it's really hard. Yeah, I, I, and I say I got fired, but I only say that because like I really do like to like own everything, so no one can say, "Oh, is this is that the third. But like, it was definitely a combination of burnout, a combination of this is a, a lot to ask somebody, and like you got to remember. As I was doing that, I was still like hosting stuff for like uninterrupted. Like I was doing stuff for like the All Star right. Weekend and with like Nate Robinson and Boozer and and my, my podcast and all this other stuff. And I'm just like, I can't keep going like this, <laughs> you know. And and they go through a lot of writers too, so like you kind of see the writing on the wall where it's like, wow, it lasted this long, great. Okay, so now on the other side of things, I mean, dude, you are crushing it. How did you get into Spring Hill and working uh, with LeBron on this? The wonderful Jamal Henderson, who is uh, one of the heads of content over at the company, we had worked together a dozens of times, right? Like when it was just uninterrupted. And, uh, you know, uninterrupted was basically founded as an athlete empowerment company where, you know, it was just athletes telling their own stories and not having, you know, the media lens and, you know, pretty much what LeBron James has, you know, been all about ever since he kind of came into the league about player empowerment and being your own thing and whatever. So years before I even got the opportunity at Spring Hill, I was one of the first people at that company that was an on-camera talent that wasn't a professional athlete. You know what I mean? Like they would just have me come on and no pressure at all. You know, it's just like, hey, Eric, come here and, and, and interview all these guys for our, our uh, Spotify show. Uh, so I did that for a while. And then once I left uh, WWE, I had a little bit of time to kind of work on some personal projects, work on Say Less with Emilio and work on a couple of other things, do Wally Mania, you know, do a couple of other things that some some one offs or whatever. And then um, this opportunity came when, when Spring Hill was like really starting to come into its own with, with Maverick Carter and, and, and LeBron and all this stuff. 
and uh, building out their audio division and helping to build out their podcast. So um, that's kind of where it led to me. And sort of in the same way as I was in WWE, as soon as I got there, I was like, here, welcome to the company. Here's DJ Khaled. Go create this podcast together. (laughs) (laughs) That was insane. Um, But it was so fun uh, because Khaled is exactly who you think he is. He is an incredible ball of energy. If he believes in you, he will go super hard nonstop every single day. Like there was times where he was literally calling me every single day during lunch, during dinner, just to give me motivational speeches. Oh my God. Give him my number. Fuck. I need that. I'm like, listen, if I got to go through all of this work to just get this motivational speech from DJ Khaled every night, this will work. I will get this done. This will happen. So um, we did the first one, which got nominated for a bunch of uh, awards. And, um, you know, we had Justin Bieber on the show. We had Nas, Diddy, Mary J. Blige, T.I., John Bon Jovi. John Bon Jovi's a little out of left field here. How did yeah. John Bon get roped into this? Well, we had so many rappers on the show. I was like, Cal, <laughs> we got to expand these horizons. Bring on John Bon. He's exactly. what, like the king of New Jersey, right? Exactly. Is he New Jersey he's a King guy? of Jersey. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and yeah. the best thing about working with Khaled is that, um, you know, as much as he loves music and as much as he loves talking to people about music, he's not a, like an interviewer slash podcaster. You know what I'm saying? So I kind of got to be like Khaled's, like Khaled could do his Khaled thing. And then when it got to turn into like, okay, it's time to be to throw this interview hat on, I could kind of like ghostwrite for him and just kind of make him like help him out a, a little bit on that. And, you know, for, for example, like when we have like a Bon Jovi on the show, like he wouldn't be like the, I mean, who is outside of the big hits? He wasn't like the most knowledgeable about Bon Jovi, but. You know, he knew living on a prayer. He knew all the bangers, you know what I'm saying? So it was fun to see those like cultures collide together. And uh and, and that was just one of the, that's just one of the many problems I've I've helped out with the, on Spring Hill and work with, you know, LeBron and those guys. Like he's obviously a very busy person, but he trusts everybody in the company and the people that he empowers to uh just create and just do things that aren't really being done in in the in the space of uh, whether it's media, whether it's music, film, TV, all that type of stuff. You really just kind of have a blank canvas to just do cool shit. And um, I love it there. And I love kind of helping build that, helping build with a bunch of incredibly talented people over there. Um, Okay, your relationship with Wale, because you guys are thick as thieves. How did you guys meet? What is, like, what's your guys' deal? What's, What's the deal of Kaz and Wale? I've met him in 2008 when I was in college. He was performing at our school. I was working at the Source Magazine at the time. So everybody that I was working with was chasing after the big dogs, like the M&Ms, the Jay-Zs, the Ludacrises, like Snoops, that guy. I was young, still up behind the ears, still fresh out of college. And the people that I really liked, the people that were my age or making music that I was into that weren't necessarily the biggest people, but became... The biggest people now, like guys like Drake, guys like Wiz Khalifa, Big Sean, J. Cole, uh, and Wale. So um, there was one story, and if anybody sees this cover, it's a Source Magazine cover with Drake on it uh, right around the time Take Care came out. Um, I did a full feature on Wale when uh, Ambition was coming out. And uh, we were always like, kind of talk on social media and talk on Twitter, but like this is the first time we really got to know each other. And then it was like, oh, we're both Nigerian. I was like, oh, 
We both love sports. Oh, we both love wrestling. And then we just built this friendship, you know, over the years. And if it wasn't for Wale, I wouldn't have maybe 90% of my like pro wrestling experiences because, you know, he would be on tour and hate it and (laughs) just do rapper stuff and hate it. But he would have so much fun going to WWE event. Didn't Wale want to be on the creative team for a while? He did. He wanted to be, he he thought, he still thinks, and I, I believe him, like there's something there where, you know, in addition to the music, like he really believes that his mind could really contribute to the growth overall of, of professional wrestling and mainstream culture. I'm surprised they've just not taken him up on this. Like, it's crazy. They haven't necessarily said no. Okay. He's been in the room for a couple of things. Uh, you know, we, we see we see the, the new NXT theme. We see, you know, uh, uh, Rolling Loud. Like, he's been in the room for a few things. The, like, amazing uh, the amazing wrap-off between uh, New Day <laughs> Oh, oh, oh my gosh. That was, that's one thing I wish I was there for. The the, the rap battle between you and Rap off the rap battle. What Um, a fucking loser. Rap battle. (laughs) 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 No, um, but no, Wale, man, like, and and Emilio, who who produces this podcast, the lovely man uh, with the lovely (laughs) hair. uh, I mean, he took me to my my first front row experience at WrestleMania was because of him. Which mania was that? This was, uh, I want to say, Mania 31 in San Jose. It was the year of the first uh, Wiley Mania that we had oh, over okay. there. And the Wiley Mania we had was, shout out to Court Bauer, who runs MLW. Incredible, incredible um, person right there. Uh, he helped put it together. And that first Wiley Mania was just like, yo, I just want to, I think the more he got to like know wrestlers and as many professional athletes he knows, He saw so many parallels and ways that he could help professional wrestlers in the way professional athletes live, right? Mm -hmm. And when we were in, I forgot which, yeah, we were in San Jose, and we were just like, man, I would just wish we could do something for wrestling like athletes get for like All-Star Weekend. You know what I mean? Like, it feels like All-Star Weekend. It feels like the biggest thing ever, but there's like, what is this thing that we could all just kind of go to and just have fun and like, you can see people that you're a fan of and just get drunk and party and like feel like it's Super Bowl or any of that type of stuff. So the first Wiley Mania, we just called everybody who wasn't under contract with WWE to come hang out with us. And it was like Samoa Joe, Rey Mysterio, Jim Ross, Jeff Hardy, Chris Hero. I love that Jim Ross was there. Oh, Jim Ross was in there kicking it too. Like he was... He was with the shits. Like, you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. You get them. And uh, um, it was, uh, it, it just kind of snowballed. Like, after that first one, it was like, oh, okay, like, there's, there's something here. So, like, it wasn't just WrestleMania. Then we'd go to, like, it wasn't NXT TakeOver yet, but there was, like, a, a NXT live event that was, like, the precursor for TakeOver. And just being in there for that energy and then seeing like WrestleMania the next day, well, like WrestleMania was bad. Like it was, it was one of the greatest WrestleManias ever. And you had the cash in and stuff and all that type of stuff. But there was that energy about that something new and something exciting and, and all that that was like what really, what we really gravitated towards. So um, every year we've just 
vowed to do something dope, whether it's the Wale Mania or it's the events. Like, obviously, COVID kind of messed this up, but like the last one we did do um, in New York City in Sony Hall is one that I hold so near and dear to my heart because that was the last time a lot of our friends were all together. Last time a lot of us saw uh, John Huber, rest in peace. Last time we saw Shad, rest in peace. Kofi Mania was going crazy. And then like he walks in as a surprise guest and it feels like Jay-Z had just walked in. Like Samoa Joe kicks the door in, doing public service announcement. And it was just like this Venn diagram of wrestling fans and hip hop fans that were just always like orbiting each other and not just, yo, just put it together and see what happens. You know what I'm saying? And that's what Wally Mania is. And aside from Wally being one of my best friends and just being a confidant and basically my brother, like this thing is like an institution that we wanted to help build every year to show not just WWE, but everybody who likes professional wrestling. Listen, black people love this too. <laughs> people of color love this too. Like, and they love hip hop music and they love partying and they love having a good time and it doesn't matter what company you're from we can all come together and kick it and like we're all humans at the end of the day if you have not been to one i promise you dallas will be no different we will make sure that will be one that you never forget well Kaz, thank you so much for for joining me on the show it was actually it was so much fun just being able to pick your brain and shoot the shit about some wrestling and all the cool things going on in your life. Renee, I've, I've been uh, such a fan of yours for such a long time. It's so cool that like we're actual friends to me because yeah. like, I'm just like, it just seems really cool. And like, it's rare that you meet somebody that is actually as cool as you think they are. So thank you so much for having me on the show. I will come back whenever you want. I need you on my show eventually. Yes, 100%. That's how it goes. Tip for tat. 100%. Well, give that baby a smooch for me because she is real cute. <laughs> Thank you. So I actually hear it starting to whine a little bit now. So I might have to. <laughs> I got to go save John bit. right now, too. There, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, thank you so much for that. I appreciate you. Thanks, dude. Thank you guys so much for hanging out. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. I hope that you learned a little bit about what goes on behind the scenes, you know, a little bit of like how the sausage is made sort of hate that phrasing but I also kind of love it it's a love-hate relationship but I feel like that's what this episode was was a lot of breaking down how things work um, and I, I do find it really really fascinating but it's fun thinking back on like some of those moments like the moments that you knew that you struck gold or like when you do something and you know that Vince loves it um, those are always really really cool moments but hey now on to other things on to other things and then like you said you know the door is never fully closed in WWE it doesn't really work like that it's more of like a revolving door swings both ways come and go just sort of how it rolls um but anyway shout out to Kaz for joining me um you guys can check him out i will tag him and all the stuff for this episode so you can follow more things Kaz. um because he um yeah even just like following him on twitter he's a great he's a great like wrestling follow but just like sports in general or like pop culture stuff in general solid follow so check all that stuff out and um yeah i will talk to you guys on the next episode, um, did I mention, I don't know if I mentioned it in the intro or not, which is dumb because I recorded the intro mere moments ago before I did the outro. Um, Emilio and I are going to hop on and do a Royal Rumble preview predictions episode. We don't do this for pay-per-views that often, but him and I are both huge Rumble fans. So we figured, what the heck? Why not? Let's turn on the mics and spin it up. So keep your eyes and ear holes 
open for that one. Ta-ta. This has been sessions.